is the big ponder. Here comes the Schonerbach Bear song for you, ladies and gentlemen. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. I'm Justin Wilcox. I grew up in East Bernard, Texas. Pretty much lived here my whole life. Been playing music since I was about 16. It was made right here in Texas for the past 100 years. It's a hell of a lot better than Budweiser, who supposedly the king of bears. It's strong as a ram and as loyal. Uh, the song, we wrote it. It's probably going on 18 years old now. We were at the house and we were doing some songwriting. Uh, my parents were out of town, so we cleared out the living room, set up drums and amps for an entire weekend, and we were trying to write some songs. And we couldn't think of anything to write about. And we happened to be drinking some Shiner beer. And Mike, the drummer, said, why don't we write a song about Shinerbach beer? And uh, 30 minutes later, we penciled some stuff down and put some music to it. In Texas, one of the most famous beers, a Bach, is actually German. That doesn't surprise a Berlin beer historian. My name is Hanno Hochmuth and I'm a historian at the Leibniz Center for Contemporary History in Potsdam. And I'm specializing in urban and public history. And in Germany, there's a very old tradition of brewing beer. And the Germans are very proud uh, that uh, one of the oldest laws from 1516, though, the Bavarians, as one German tribe, actually claims this uh, as uh, to be the Bavarian uh, purity law. But it clearly shows that there's this very old tradition of brewing beer and also this old tradition of claiming that this is something distinctive German, though other countries also produce the beer and goes back, I think, to the uh, ancient times of the old uh, Phoenicians. Uh, however, it's a pretty German thing. It's not only considered to be a German thing, but it's a German tradition. And uh, with the mass immigration to America, brewing beer was also transferred uh, there. <laughs> The year was 1909, when German and Czech farmers longed for a beer with the old world quality and taste they remembered back home. So they put up a two-story tin shed at a site with access to a deep artesian well. And realizing that they needed a true brewing craftsman, they located a Bavarian brewmaster by the name of Cosmos Spetzel. 
Cosmo Spezza was a really interesting uh, guy. I mean, he understood uh, the location where he was at, the farmers, the agriculture uh, that was over here. He used to was always known for the beer. Uh, he would go out in his uh, either horse and buggy or he had a little car at that time, motorized car, and he would go in out in the farms and he'd always set a bottle of Shiner on the fence post. So when the, the farmers would come around uh, uh, to make that round of plowing, they'd pick that beer up. They knew Cosmos was there. So he was a salesman there, too. He knew how to, how to get these guys uh, to buy his beer. My name is Jimmy Mark. I'm the brewmaster at Spetzelbury in Shiner, Texas. I've been here coming in June will be 44 years. So I've been working here since I was 17 years old. Only job I've ever had. You know, born and raised here in Shiner, Texas. My mother was Czech and my father was German, the Maurik, uh, M-A-U-R-I-C is actually pronounced Maurik. The German and Czech farmers actually settled here in Shiner, Texas because we had a railroad coming through. And this was a huge agricultural community. They were planting corn and cotton. Cotton was huge in Shiner. So uh, they settled in to plant their crops, but they had no beer. You know, Shiner, Texas is between San Antonio and Houston. We're in the middle of nowhere. I like to say we're in the middle of a pasture 50 miles from nowhere. That being said, they wanted their beer. So they actually started the Shiner Brewery Association. They dug a hand weld right here on the banks of the Boggy Creek right here where the brewery is located now because it was an artesian spring coming out of the ground. So they dug it right there so they knew that was a great water source. So they dug their well, so they had their water for their beer. They started this in 1909. You know, we're 113 years old, so we've been here a long time. They started making beer, but they struggled making good beer. So that's where they finally um, had to get somebody that actually was a brewmaster. They had a guy that his uncle was actually a brewmaster, and his name was Cosmos Spetzel. He was actually a brewmaster in Germany. He brewed in, um, in Cairo, Egypt for a while. He came to the States up north and was brewing and up in Canada. And they invited him here to South Central Texas because his nephew was here. He decided to, you know, to move down here. The rest, like I said, is history. He moved down here. Our brewery is still named Cosmos Spetzel Brewery kept the name all these years uh and this was about 1915 when um when cosmos came down here he brewed for a while for these guys and finally he actually bought the brewery and owned it till 1950 until his death uh, and that's when his daughter miss Feely took over she owned it for over 10 years to 1960 before she sold it to a group of investors during prohibition he kept the brewery open we had refrigeration back then so we produced ice the old refrigerators, everything were wooden refrigerators, and you put ice in it, and that's what kept everything cold. So we sold ice. But we also, at that time, Cosmos was known to make near beer. And it was also known to be nearer to beer than he was near beer. So he always forgot to take a step out, was take the alcohol out of it. Today's story is about bars, where not beer, but time is served. The original brewmaster of Scheinerbach, Cosmos Spetzel, went to jail for delivering beer to the good folks of Texas. Now, after nearly two years of serving time, why would this man go back to the same dark craft that got him locked away? Because to not brew Bach would be the crime. 
we had the Shiner Premium. Our flagship beer was at one time Shiner Beers, Shiner Texas Special, Shiner Blonde. It got rebranded to Shiner Premium. It was rebranded so many, so many times through the years, but it was kind of one of the original recipes that Cosmos had. And we only thing that we actually changed from that too was to put a little corn in it to to make it a more of a premium lager. So we did the same thing with the Bach, and we actually made a more drinkable, sessionable Bach out of it in the 70s. Hang on, Jimmy. What does sessionable mean? Sessionable means that you could you can drink a bunch of them. And, you know, again, it was a little lower in alcohol, not heavy, not highly hopped, not very bitter. So it's it's you can drink a bunch of these beers, uh, you know, back to back. Let's talk about funerals of the happy variety. See, back in the 70s, there were folks in Austin who liked music and Shinerbach. Trouble was, it wasn't always a delivery truck for Shinerbach. But there was a hippie man with a funeral car. Wisdom would say, don't put the fate of your beer in the hands of delivery hippies with hearses. And again, wisdom does not drink. Austin, Texas is right down the road, huge uh, college, uh, you know, uh, city. And when we had this seasonal beer called Shiner Bach and we put it out there, it was very dark. It was out on the tables in pictures. And, you know, I don't know if you hear the word, the term for Austin is keep Austin weird. Well, they like stuff like that. They was unique. It was different. But this is what happened with the Schinerbach. It was very drinkable. It was very sessionable. It looked very dark and intimidating on the table and in the pictures. But when they drank it, it was really sessionable, and they could drink a lot of it. So they thought they were uh, really badass that they could drink this big, dark beer. But it was very sessionable beer. And that's what uh, made Schinerbach very appealing to these guys. And again, They graduated from East College. They moved on and they took their Schonerbach with them. And then it was a Texas thing. You know, it was Texas barbecue and Schonerbach. In Texas, there's only one way to say Shiner. Shiner. Oh, Shiner. Just say it with Shiner. It kind of grew through the years that way. Because uh, when you thought about Texas, you thought about Schonerbach. In the 70s and 80s, there was only six breweries in Texas. You know, we talked a little bit about the craft side. You know, there was Pearl, Lone Star, Strohs, uh, Miller. There was Anheuser-Busch and there was Shiner. There was only six breweries in Texas. And then all of a sudden in the 90s, all these craft, these small breweries started uh, opening up and they called them craft breweries. And after all these years, after 100 years of brewing, we finally figured out what we were. We were craft brewery. That's what we are. That was the name. We weren't a big regional brewery. We weren't the major club. We were a craft brewery. And the Schonerbach, again, was our, you know, our flagship beer. It took over the Shiner Premium. And again, to this day, it's 75% of our total volume. You know, we're doing a lot of different beers, ales. You know, we're doing fruit-type beers, you know, light beers, premium beers, seltzers, but Schinerbach is still 75% of our total volume. It continues, um, you know, it's not just a Texas following now. It's in 50 states, and really people associate Texas with, you know, with Schinerbach. Beer in Schiner, we make beer because beer makes the world a better place. 
So we're on a mission to put a shine in the hands of people who deserve it. Which, if you think about it, is everybody. Throws it forward! Back in Berlin, we visited a beer garden on a sunny Monday afternoon. Eric was reading a book while he waits for his work permit to go through. Ein Helles, it's a Bavarian-style lager, and I uh, don't know a ton else about it, but I had gotten a Pils originally, and so I was trying something different. I moved here from the West Coast, and so I feel like stuff here is definitely a lot less hoppy. West Coast is very IPA-centric, and so I'm enjoying the difference. Thorsten and Steffi are from the Teutoburger Wald. They're drinking Alster, which is beer with lemonade. Alster, also beer with limonade, ne? Yeah, with mm. But more important for them is to sit outside on a sunny day. So, wir sitzen jetzt nicht wegen dem Bier, wir sitzen einfach, weil die Sonne scheint und es ist schön warm und einfach eine kleine Pause. Laws has been coming to this beer garden since the GDR days, when, he says, it was a lot more proletarian. I drink Hefeweizen. Normally I'm a Pilz drinker, but the Pilz is very bad here around, so I have to take this one. You can't drink Berlin beer. You have all the big industries, uh, the big breweries. It's not from here anymore. Hanno tells us that Berlin actually used to be a wine city. Until the 18th century, for example, it was more common uh, to produce and to drink wine, uh, even in Berlin, uh, uh, than beer. Uh, but then in the 18th century, there were some like horrible winters where most of the vineyards uh, got frozen. Uh, and this was one of the reasons why it changed from wine to the consumption and production of beer. There were Weinberge vineyards everywhere in uh, Berlin. Uh, for example, the famous uh, Kreuzberg. And there used to be even the official vineyards uh, of uh, the city of Berlin until uh, the 18th century, when it was basically replaced by the largest brewery uh, of Berlin. That was the Schultheis Brewery. The Schultheis Brewery, however, is no longer producing. And nowadays we can find vineyards again at the Kreuzberg. So as always in history, you have uh, something like going back and forth and constant change. Berlin's beer brewing industry has undergone a lot of change, explains Hanno. In Berlin, the whole production and consumption of beer changed significantly during the last 150 years. Back in the 19th century, the production and the consumption of beer was actually one of the largest businesses. Uh, around 1900, uh, we had, I don't know, up to 100 major industrial-scale breweries. Nowadays, there's only one large-scale brewery left in Berlin. It's in Hohenschenhausen at Weißenseer Weg. And as a matter of fact, uh, the last remaining uh, brands of Berlin popular beers, that is Schultheis, that is Berliner Pilsner and Berliner Kinder, they're all brewed now in the very same brewery. 
Uh, and they also belong to the same brewing company. And this brewing company also belongs to one of the major brewing companies in Germany. And so we have this, this process of merging and of uh, big monopolies, basically, in, when it comes to uh, brewing uh, beer. And people are not very satisfied uh, with this uh, situation that uh, these uh, beers, they're coming all from the same brewery. And you have uh, basically also the same uh, beers everywhere nationwide uh, in Germany, especially Becks, for example, that you can basically uh, get everywhere. Uh, and so when we think about sustainability, it's just not very sustainable anymore because uh, the most of the beer that we drink nowadays is not coming from Berlin, but it has to be carried uh, from elsewhere in Germany throughout the whole country uh, to uh, drink it in Berlin. But Berlin is also a very green city, uh, not only in terms of all the trees that we have, but also in political terms. So the idea of sustainability and also the criticism regarding big monopolies uh, and so on uh, is also very strong here. So that's why there's lots of sympathy uh, when it comes to the idea of having smaller beers, craftsmanship, producing your own beer, but not not transporting it throughout uh, Germany. So that's one of the reasons. And the second reason are uh, the expats. Namely, Americans who move to Berlin and miss the beer they know from home. Many Germans, maybe also other beer drinkers, uh, would probably argue that you know, there was some decay or decline connected uh, with American uh, beer industry when we talk about large-scale brewing uh, in America. At least beers like Budweiser are not considered to be the best beers in the world. And usually uh, people distinguish quite a lot between the original Budweiser from Czech Republic and the American Budweiser uh, that many people consider to be something between beer and water. But the industrial large-scale brewing in America changed significantly uh, in the last, I'd say, 10 or 20 years uh, with the craft beer industry, which is actually not really an industry, but it's claimed to be craftsmanship, so on a, a lower scale. And as a matter of fact, uh, this is a transfer now from America back uh, to Germany, also back to other parts uh, in Europe, that now we have this uh, American-style craft beer uh, in many, many places uh, in Germany, above all in uh, Berlin. In the mid-1700s, there were over 300 breweries in Berlin. However, most of these old breweries have been torn down or have fallen into disrepair. Today, there are only a handful of major producers left, mostly brewing the same, almost completely uniform style of beer. For us, beer is more than a cheap, mass-produced commodity. Beer is a fundamental part of our culture. It's linked to the core of our society. Back when nomads decided to build a home so they could ferment their beer, build a wagon so they could move it. We are Vagabund Brauerei, based here in Berlin. I am Matt Walthall. I'm an American from originally Maryland. Studied at the Goethe Institute in Washington, D.C. Uh, for a year, and I came to Berlin 2004. 
2005, May 2005, basically for a summer vacation. And that extended out a number of years after I met my then girlfriend, now wife. And uh, 2011, I started a brewery here, uh, basically started out of my kitchen. And uh, now we're standing in front of our 3,000 liter uh, brew system. So we went from 20 liters to 3,000 over the last couple of years. So was it always your plan to stay in Berlin and brew beer? No, no, absolutely not. No, no. I was, I was planning to go to law school. I thought I would just have a summer in Europe. I knew Berlin well at that point and thought that it would be a good like home base to start. Then I got a TEFL certificate to teach English as a foreign language. And so I thought, yeah, I could teach a couple students, make some like money on the side and then just travel around for the summer and then come back before going to law school. And then I learned that I could delay my, my LSAT scores and my law school applications. I could put them on hold. And that was sort of the death knell there because then I could extend like to one year. And then I think the LSATs at that point, I could pause them for three. And by the time I got to the third year, I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. And I really just sort of got sucked into the Berlin culture. I was in a band. I was acting in theater here in the English uh, theater. I had lots of friends that were artists. And so that whole like, you know, artistic subculture of Berlin, I did not want to leave. <laughs> and it was randomly through that, it was like from our bands that, we started talking about the beers that we missed during practice because I was drinking beer while playing music. And at that point, I mean, it still is very much the case that like 90% of all the beer that's sold in Germany is Pilsner. Certainly back then, this would have been around 2009, we were talking about uh, where can I find a porter? Where can I find a pale ale or an IPA and all of those things? And uh, then we, we really went on a long search trying to find them. And we couldn't. <laughs> At least we did. We found a, like, I remember a very dusty six pack that has expired a year before. And I think we paid maybe 20 euros for it um, just because we were so excited to, to find it. And then it really became a means to an end. If we wanted to drink those beers, we started to brew them at home. Yeah, that's what we did. And then we, we would we'd brew the beer and then sell it um, at friends, uh, well, for donations, <laughs> for at friends like art gallery exhibitions. Um, and then our, at our own like uh, music performances, like in between where we'd be selling merch and then our beer on the side. And, um, and then, yeah, it was around 2011 where we decided, okay, um, let's, let's go professional with this. But then it became a very weird uh, thing because certainly at that time, craft beer was not known here. And we spent a lot of time just thinking about the vocabulary for it. Because if you like craft this is like an, an under a Bedeutung auf Deutsch, you know, it's like it's a craft power. And then we thought like, well, are they going to think we're selling like, you know, a Red Bull uh, beer if we call it craft beer? But it, I mean, it's crazy to think now it's it's all over the place. Like people know what it is. 2009, not a single soul knew, except from us, really knew what we were talking about, except people that had actually traveled to the US or the UK. So, yeah, in a lot of ways, we were very much at the very forefront of craft beer here. The first beer you brewed, how was it? Here? Um not that great it was alcohol the first thing we did the big mistake is that we made a pilsner which is a lager it's an industrial beer a pilsner um you need refrigeration you need a whole lot of industrial equipment and the kinds of things you don't have in your apartment and we didn't have a proper refrigeration setup for it we didn't have proper temperature controls all of that so it was a bad beer to start with and then the big thing that we did not take note of was evaporation rate because so much water had evaporated, it went from what was supposed to be a 5% beer to a 9% beer. Um, so it got us drunk. 
<laughs> but it wasn't it was not a good beer it was not something that i really wanted to hand out and uh, some of the people that we shared that beer with yeah they were always very surprised of like oh really you like you now have like one of the, like the third largest craft breweries in, in berlin and and that was your beer that i remember that one it was really bad um but uh yeah i mean from that we quickly learned I mean, yeah, the whole evaporation rate thing, we figured that out very quickly, <laughs> uh, that mistake. And, uh, um, yeah, it was always just process improvement after process improvement. Yeah. So now you're at a good quality. Yeah, 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 definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Like, yeah, and um, we have a very nice, modern, beautiful brew system here from Casper Schultz out of Bamberg, which, in my opinion, is like one of the Porsches or Mercedes of the, of the brewing industry. Since the 1600s, they've been making brew systems. For the listeners out there, I highly recommend to someone in the brewing industry, if anyone, like, don't go to Oktoberfest. It's such like a cliche thing to do at this point. If you really want to experience some really cool, unique German beer culture, go to Bamberg. It has the most breweries per person than any city in Germany. And there's these nice, beautiful, small little breweries that brew all kinds of you know, beautiful Pilsners, Helles, smoked beers, dark beers, all out of there. The American brewing industry is all based off of German immigrants to a great deal. When I'm trying to push American craft beer on the German market often, I bring that fact up because they, they look at us as if, oh, America, you just drink like cheap industrial beer, which a great deal is true. But we also have this long tradition of brewing. A lot of that came from the German immigrants. We had Bachs and Hefeweizens and all of these different styles that were being brewed in the U.S. And a lot of that culture was sort of lost somewhat through prohibition and then anti-German sentiment during the First World War and the Second World War. But then when the craft beer industry started back up again, a lot of those craft breweries then were seeking out German brewers. It's always been this mix of a sort of American experimentation and then German traditions and technology. That tradition of craftsmanship and pride made Cosmos Spetzel a legend. And it continues today at our little brewery in Shiner. In a small town, we have great work ethic here. You know, we have nepotism as best here. It's a family community. We have husband, wives, brothers, sisters, mothers, daughters working here. You know, it's just a huge family-oriented town. So, again, these people make great employees because they want good beer, too, and they know that their parents or their mother or whatever will be on their butt for not making good beers. It's rewarding here to see all the young people coming up now and, you know, trying to mentor and teach them the art of brewing and uh, all the different ways to history. You know, a lot of it's telling the stories, you know. We have a lot of stories and a lot of young people had aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents here work, you know, through the years. So, I mean, our local bar owner, you know, that uh, we go get a beer at his grandparents both retired from here. So I work with both of them. So, again, it's those kind of stories that uh, you, you always got something to talk about. And it's usually about beer. <laughs> Next time you're in town, stop by the Shiner Hospitality Room. Our hospitality is delicious. Enjoy your shiner from our town to yours. Roses. For the Big Ponder, this was Sally McGreen and Axel Scheele.
listening to the big ponder this transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the goethe institute in collaboration with the bertelsmann foundation and rundfunk berlin brandenburg thanks to all our friends on both sides of the big pond that make this series possible <laughs>